We're up to 2 Samuel chapter 4. At this point in time, we've seen that King Saul has been killed and his son Jonathan as well. David has been rising to the position God has for him. He's the king of of Judah at this point, but the other 11 tribes haven't accepted him yet. Uh, that is coming down the road. But in 2 Samuel chapter 4, we're going to jump into the text here and we'll get a little bit more of the context as we get into the passage here. So 2 Samuel chapter 4, it starts out in verse 1. When Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart and all Israel was troubled. Remember that Saul's son was named Ishbosheth, and we'll see him a few times here as we go through the passage. Uh, he was the king of 11 of the tribes of Israel at this point. You remember when he was put in office, so to speak, there it was Abner uh, who turned out to be the, the guy that declared him to be the king of 11 tribes. So it wasn't the Lord's doing. This is something that Abner pulled off on his own, and Abner beca- became his commander in, for uh, his armies. So Right now, we're told, you know, he's here, he just heard the news that Abner had died. And it was a kind of a wicked thing that happened there when uh, David's general, Joab, uh, he set up something there and he ended up killing and murdering uh, Abner. So it was a bad, bad situation. Uh, We don't know exactly what uh, Saul's son has heard at this point other than he died. His first thought is probably, I guess, David decided to do this and kind of take our power away. But it wasn't David at all. David had nothing to do with it. Uh, it was his, his uh, officer there, Joab, the, one of his commanding officers. So it was a bad situation, and uh, now there's going to be some more dominoes fall because of that. So he's heard the news, and he's lost heart. It's had a dramatic effect on him. And it says also that all Israel is troubled. So all the, uh, the other 11 tribes now, they're, they're upset over this as well. So David, again, he's only the king of the tribe of Judah at this point, and uh, the rest of the tribes have been following uh, this man, Ishbosheth, who was one of Saul's son. So uh, now Ishbosheth here, he's worried that if they killed my main commander, what are they going to do to me? And that's probably a good question to ask, you know, once he's in this situation. So the 11 tribes heard about it, their trouble too, and they're probably thinking that David and his army is probably gathering right now to come after us. I mean, they've taken out our main general, our main uh, commander, so now we're next in line and, and we're just in for a really bad time. But we see a problem here with Ishbosheth. Since Abner, you know, he put his, he was put in office, uh, I mean, Abner's the one that put him in office, Saul's son here, uh, now Abner's gone. And Ishbosh's world has just fallen apart. And because of that, he's lost heart. So we see here that he was trusting in man rather than trusting in God. And that's a serious problem. You know, if we're in that same place, trusting in man rather than trusting in God, then it's probably right that we should be afraid of what's going to happen too. (laughs) Because man doesn't have control of things. God does, right? So if we're seeking the the kingdom of God first, if we're trusting the Lord, doing what he told us to do, then we don't have to worry about anything. That's what the Lord says. You don't have to worry about anything. You just seek the, the kingdom of God first, and I'll take care of everything else. So our God, he can handle any situation that comes along. And remember, he loves us tremendously, okay? So we should be trusting in the Lord in every situation and in every area of our life. So let's go on to verse 2 now. It says, now Saul's son had two men who were captains of troops. The name of one was Beanna, and the name of the other, Rechab. The sons of Rimon, the Barathites, so these guys are, are brothers here, of the children of Benjamin. Then it explains how these Barathites are connected to the children of Benjamin. For Beeroth also was part of Benjamin because the Barathites fled to Gittim and have been journeyers there until this day. So they kind of blended in to that group of people. So the Lord introduces us to these two guys here, and they're captains in Ishbosheth's army as well. Uh, and the Lord is doing this because these guys are going to turn out to be some major players in the story in, uh, in this chapter. 
And one of the things we notice here is that these guys, because they're associated with the tribe of Benjamin, that's the same tribe that Saul was from. So the Lord is telling us that for a reason. Remember that down the road here, that these guys are from the same tribe, the same family group, basically, uh, that Saul is, which means his son is from the same tribe. So these are all the same guys. And it's interesting, remember uh, Saul, when he had control before he died, it, it, the closest guys to him were guys from his own tribe. He really favored his own people, and uh, he probably made all kinds of great business deals for them, which is pretty normal in politics. So some of these guys now, they were probably in that group of being uh, well taken care of by Saul as long as they were the yes men that he, he wanted to have there. So it goes on in verse 4. Jonathan, Saul's son, this is Jonathan who had gotten killed there, he had a son who was lame in his feet. And the Lord explains to us how this happened. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And that was the news that they had been killed in battle. So at the age of five, his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to leave that he fell and became lame. And his name is Mephibosheth. So we've got another one of the relatives of Saul here. And the Lord is introducing us to him too because he's going to be a player down later on in the story. He's not in our passage today, but we'll see him later on. <clears throat> so this would have been Saul's grandson here, you know, being the son of Jonathan. And he tells us right off the bat, this grandson has some physical problems that make him lame, and he even explains how it happened. He says, you know, that there was an accident that took place when the news came about Saul's death, the nurse was probably uh, fearful and thought, man, they're going to kill everybody in the family now, so I, I need to get this young child away from here. So as in doing that, something happened, and it doesn't give us all the details, but in the haste, uh, he fell, or maybe she even fell on top of him. Somehow it appears that both of his feet or ankles were broken, and uh, back then they didn't have a way of fixing them properly, so they healed that way, and now because of that, uh, he's not right, he's lame in, his, in attempting to walk. So this is really going to hinder him, uh, having, depending on what he can do. His limitations are pretty great in uh, what he's, he's able to do physically. So this is, the Lord's telling us this to say, there's more relatives of Saul. Normally, the, the king's in charge, when Saul was there, his family line was going to be the ones to take succession of the kingdom after him. Well, the Lord switched over to David, but he's letting us know there are other guys in line here. So if the people wanted to rebel, they could say we've got one of Saul's relatives uh, besides Ishbosheth, you know, that we could put in there. It's just this guy's got some physical problems. And it's kind of interesting in Scripture we notice this. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament, as you're reading through, you might catch this. The Lord likes to introduce us to people that are going to come into the story. They're going to be major players along the way. So he'll, he'll let us know, here's this guy and here's who he is. And then you might say, well, what's that got to do with anything? But, but keep reading and you'll find out that he introduced this guy because he's coming up down the road, just so you know who he's, who he's talking about. So he mentions these guys. And in verse 5, and it says, Then the sons of Rimmon, the Barathite, Rechab and Beana, they set out and it came about at the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who was lying on his bed at noon. So this wouldn't be too unusual for people taking a rest in the heat of the day. Back then, you know, in some places of the world, they still, uh, if it gets very hot, a lot of times they will take a break in the afternoon and, and get some rest. So uh, here the king is, is doing the same thing. One of the things that's interesting, somebody pointed out, he's laying in here and he has no bodyguards. <laughs> Now, if you're thinking that my life might be in danger next, you might think he'd have a whole troop around him, you know, to watch him. But we don't see anybody that's in the house here uh, for protection for him, and that's going to turn out very bad. So verse 6, as these sons now have come into the house, it says they came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat. So they kind of gave the impression that, hey, we're, we're here in the middle of the day, uh, we're, we're probably coming in to grab some food, and that's kind of what the thought was. Well, they come all the way in, and it says they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and Biana, his brother, escaped. And the Lord gives us a little more details of what all happened. For when they came into the house, he was lying on his bed in his bedroom. Then they struck him, and they killed him. 
They beheaded him, and they took his head, and were all night escaping through the plain. Now, they've got a a sneaky plan here. They've decided to make it look like they were just coming up to the house to get food, but they really wanted the head of the king. And their reasoning is they're going to give this as evidence to David that, hey, we're the good guys. We're on your side. We took your enemy out, okay? Uh, So they've got a plan here. And, you know, here it is. They're, They're escaping, and it took them all night to get to the location where David was. So you can figure these guys are probably you know, making plans as they go, like, man, David's going to be so happy. I wonder how much he's going to give us, you know. I wonder how much in charge he's going to put us in his own army. And they probably have all these dreams going, and it's all foolishness because they did a really bad thing here. So they, they had this plan they were working on, and uh, later on we'll see that they were, he's gonna use, they're going to try to use that head to make a pretty nice profit for themselves. The Lord warns us, you know, about especially young people, not to keep company with wicked people like these guys. Take a look over at uh, Proverbs chapter 1. <clears throat> this, is, this is great advice the Lord gives, like I said, especially to young people. And we need this when we're young. You know, the parents, we should be giving this to our kids at home, and hopefully they're listening. You know, sometimes the teenage years, they don't hear quite as good as they, they were when they were younger. But uh, in Proverbs chapter 1, if you look down to verse 10, here's the, the wisdom God's trying to pass on to especially young people. But it applies to all of us. It says, my son, this is Proverbs 1 verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. And that's what these guys are doing, thinking, man, we're going we're gonna to make good off of this deal. Uh, we shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. And the wisdom here is, he says, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. In other words, don't even get close to these guys. Keep, for their feet run to evil. They run to evil. They're excited to do this stuff. They make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. They don't realize this is going to backfire on them. And that's what's going to happen to these guys too. So verse 19 says, "So So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Wow, when you take that to heart, because what we see here back in uh, 2 Samuel 4 is an exact picture of that proverb that the Lord was saying what not to do, because these are those guys. They're that kind of guys. So this little stunt they're going to try to pull here in uh, 2 Samuel 4 is going to cost them their lives. We get from this, you know, that we need to listen to the Lord's instruction and his warnings in his word. He knows what he's talking about, and he's always telling us the truth, always. Uh, Verse 8 goes on back in 2 Samuel 4. They brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron. Remember, that's where David is set up headquarters right now at Hebron. And they said to the king, so they're speaking to David here, here is the head of Ishbosheth the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. And the Lord has avenged my Lord, the king this day of Saul and his descendants. So they're making it sound like we've wiped out the last of his descendants and the Lord told us there's more, you know. Uh, These guys, they got a pretty big head at this point. But these guys have done a very foolish thing. You know, they should have done their homework before they showed up here uh, with this head of Saul's son. Uh, First of all, David was on fairly good terms with Ishbosheth, uh, from what we can see, uh, because remember when David requested, you know, that his first wife be returned to him, uh, Ishbosheth he responded very quickly, and we saw that a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at that passage. So David did not see Saul or his son as enemies. Remember, even when Saul was chasing him, David had great respect for Saul. You know, he saw him as God's anointed king. So this was a huge mistake, number one, that these guys pulled by saying, we've conquered your enemy for you. (laughs) It's like, that wasn't my enemy. 
You know, David did not see him that way. And then on top of that, we see huge mistake number two. <laughs> These guys try to say their act of murder was an act of, of God on David's behalf. Look at the end of verse 8 there. It says, and the Lord has avenged my Lord the king this day. So they're trying to pull God into this thing, you know. It's like, man, you guys are, are something else. The Lord never told them to do this. All right, so uh, they're, they're pulling this one out, saying this day, you know, Saul and all of his descendants, we've taken care of all that for you, our Lord and King, you know, <clears throat> something else. So they've got a lot of nerve. This is a huge mistake uh, to try to, to pull this one with David because David was so close to the Lord himself, he's not going to be fooled by these guys. You know, and you know, you and I, we need to stay close to the Lord and very close to his word, the Bible, because there are people out there who would love to deceive us, you know, these false teachers. And by staying close to the Lord and close to his word, we're able to clearly see these kind of folks and avoid them when we see them coming. Uh, take a look at Second Peter for a minute because the Lord gives us some good warnings here uh, that we need to stay close to his word as well. You look at 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, and there's a few places in the New Testament here that speak about these guys, but 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. And notice what they're going to do. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. So this is what these guys are doing. But look what it says in verse 2. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. So the Lord tells us there's going to be these false teachers among believers and many people are going to follow them. And to me that tells us there's a lot of folks who are not staying close to the Lord. They're not staying in his word and they're, they're easily deceived when these guys come through. So the Lord warns us here, you know, very clearly in Second Peter, this stuff is going to be here. It's going to be around. So we need to be prepared for that, and I think the Lord gives us good, good warning. He also said in Matthew 24, and I'll just read that part to you, because he tells us in the very last days, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So the Lord tells us, you know, that this stuff is going to happen. There's going to be false teachers. There's going to be false prophets. And we shouldn't be surprised at the number. There's going to be a lot of them. And the very sad part is the number that are going to be deceived by them, many people. So in both of those cases, you don't want to be in the category of the many <laughs> as we look at those warnings. And the best way to avoid that is by staying close to the Lord and close to his word. So uh, we can really protect ourselves by doing that. Come back to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 4 and look at verse 9. It says, But David answered Rechab and Bianna his brother, now that they've made their little speech about all that they've done for King David. So he answers them, it says, the sons of Rimon, the Barothite, and said to them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity. So David here, right off the bat, he's letting these guys know that it was the Lord who redeemed his life from all of his enemies. And he's implying, I don't need any man's help because God's got this and I'm on God's side. And I certainly don't need you guys going out there doing stuff like this because God takes care of me. Wow. It's such a comfort for us, you know, to know that when we're walking with the Lord, He's got our back, and we don't have to trust in men who can often fail us. You know, the, our missionary guys, when they went on their trip, one of the testimonies the guy brought back, guys brought back, they said uh, one time they were, one area they were in, uh, everything they had planned did not work. <laughs> every, every step they had for a couple of days was just the opposite of what the Lord wanted, and the Lord kept changing everything. But thankfully, the guys were like, you know, we're flexible. Whatever God wants is his thing. Uh, we made plans, but if he changes them, that's his thing. So we're good with that. But they found this out that we can trust the Lord. He's got our back. Uh, we don't have to trust in men. We don't have to trust on our own plans. Praise the Lord for that, huh? That, that God takes care of things. We just trust in him. So the missionaries came back with that statement. They said, yeah, man, it was awesome. 
Nothing went the way we planned, and God took over, and it was great, <laughs> you know. So as long as he's in charge, everything is good. Even when it falls apart, it's still good because he's in charge, right? And we trust him for that. So verse 10 goes on as David is starting to talk to these guys and tells them that God's the one who redeems my life, and I, he's done it from all adversity. Verse 10, it says, when someone told me, as David says, saying, look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him and I had him executed in Ziklag. And we remember that story. He said, the one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. So here David reveals that that Amalekite that brought the news to him about killing Saul, that he had a very selfish motive. So there was another guy who made a mistake by not doing his homework before he showed up to speak with King David. And by now, these two brothers who are standing here before David, they must be shaking in their sandals because the news they're hearing is not what they thought. You know, they thought there was going to be a great celebration on their behalf. And instead, it looks like they're getting the gallows ready for them, huh? And we hope and, you know, we pray uh, that people will do their homework before they stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you know, King Jesus. Because there's only one way that's going to turn out good for them when they're there. They need to receive Christ now before that day comes. Because if they don't, they're going to have to face the wrath of God and Almighty God. And uh, their story or their excuse that they didn't have time or they missed or whatever, that's not going to work for them. So we pray for the lost, you know, Lord, help them do their homework ahead of time and not be, be a mess before the king when they stand for stand there because these guys are a picture of that, what it looks like when you're not prepared to answer the king because you didn't do your homework. You did what you thought was right and not what God says is right. So verse 11 now, David's still talking to these guys and they, their heart has to be sinking lower and lower here. In verse 11, he says, you know, if I did that to this guy who brought the news about King Saul, how much more? He said, when wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house on his bed, therefore shall I not require his blood at your hand and remove you from the earth? Wow. Yeah, David's a little upset here. You can see that. So David calls out their wicked act. They murdered a righteous man. He said there was nothing wrong with this guy, you know. And I appreciate the grace he gives here because, you know, David looks at this guy as he was hoodwinked. <laughs> I don't blame him for everything that's gone on. Abner's the one behind the whole mess. He's the one who pushed all this together. This guy was thrown in there and he happened to be in the right family line. So he's the guy. And unfortunately, we can see Ishbosheth really wasn't a great leader. I mean, that wasn't his character or his ability. So David has mercy on him. He's not upset with him. So he declares that they murdered a righteous man, and they even did it while he was in his own, his own house and in his own bed. So he's basically saying, you know, these cowards didn't even give him a chance to defend himself. And what a sad way to have to die. You know, he didn't die in the battlefield. He ends up dying in his bed by some traitors. So yeah, David's infuriated with these guys, and, and they should be scared at David's words. And, you know, and to listen to these, besides that, listen to these scary words we get from the Lord, and all people everywhere need to pay attention to them. In John 3.36, it says, He who believes in the Son of God, Jesus, has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. And those are scary words because that applies to every human being. Either you have Christ and you're completely forgiven or you do not have Christ and you have the wrath of God remaining on you, abiding on you still. So these are words that everyone needs to pay attention to now before it's too late because there's no do-overs when you stand before the Lord. You have to do your homework ahead of time. So David says at the end of verse 11 there that they're going to pay with their own life because he says, you know, I'm going to remove you from the earth. So because of the life they took, their life is going to be, be taken. They are reaping what they have sown. Uh, verse 12 goes on. So David commanded his young men and they executed them. They cut off their hands and feet and they hanged them by the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and they buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. 
So David had their hands and feet removed. These were the hands that committed their the crime, their evil deed, and their feet that took them there to do it. Uh, this mutilation, too, of their bodies showed that these evil men, they did not deserve a decent burial because this was cold-blooded murder that these guys had committed. So David's going to use them, and he's going to send a message by them. He hangs these guys in a very public place. It mentions the pool here. This would be the place where people would come every day to get water. So as everybody comes, every family comes up there, they're going to see these mutilated bodies hanging there. And, of course, they're going to say, what's that about? So David had them hung there as a warning. He wanted to let everybody know that he does not approve of this kind of evil behavior. So before anybody else, you know, goes to killing any of Saul's family and thinking they're going to be pleasing David in the process, they just need to look at these bodies and remember David's going to deal with anybody the same way who tries to do this kind of foolish thing ever again. Then we're told, you know, that he takes the head of Ishbosheth, which is all he had, and he made sure it was buried uh, properly in a tomb. So David shows respect to Saul's family here. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he gives this head a very decent burial, uh, trying to honor them and honor this man. <clears throat> goes on in chapter 5. Then all of the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron, and they spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also, also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. So now all the, the rest of the leaders, you know, the leaders of the other 11 tribes, they come to David here and they're anointing him as king over Israel. And uh, they explain their reasons of why they did this. You know, they said, first of all, that in, uh, in verse 1 there of chapter 5, that uh, you're an Israelite just like us. You know, they said that uh, you're indeed our bone, our flesh. We were related to you. And it's, it's a good thing because David, you remember, he has been spending time with the Philistines. And uh, he was in hiding from Saul when he did that. But he hung out with them for quite a while. So these guys are acknowledging that we see you as fully part of the nation of Israel again. And that's one reason we've, we're coming to you and we're going to anoint you as king over us as well. Uh, secondly, in verse 2, the first part of that, they pointed out that David was a respected warrior. He was a leader under King Saul. And if you remember, you know, after David killed Goliath, uh, Saul pulled him right in and had him leading troops and armies and that. And uh, he, was, he was a well-respected leader. Remember, they even had their songs they were singing about David. So before King Saul went crazy and jealously started chasing David, uh, David had that reputation that he was a good leader of Israel. So that's the second reason they're giving. Uh, the third reason is in the, the second part of verse 2 there, uh, where it says, you shall shepherd my people Israel, be ruled over Israel. Uh, they're acknowledging that the Lord has already declared this. He's anointed David. So they're uh, identifying that as the truth as well. Uh, so here, David is king over Israel, according to the Lord, and what the Lord just said there. And when these guys make this statement, that they know that, they're admitting that they were aware of it. So when they accept that Ishbosheth is their king, They've been in rebellion against the Lord, too, just like Abder. So they've kind of committed themselves here when they said that. It's like, oh, so you did know that. Well, why were you not following King David before? Well, obviously, you're not interested in following the Lord's will. Uh, you went along with Abner's program that he came up with. Now, somebody had mentioned, too, it took these leaders all this time, you know, now that David's kind of the last remaining choice. Saul is gone, his son is gone, uh, so I guess we got to go with David. And that's a sad picture a lot of times of how people treat the Lord. You know, we don't come to the Lord until everything else has been fixed and we can't do nothing else or it's fallen apart so bad. We don't have any other choice, so I guess we'll just go to the Lord. So we, we see a sad picture here of these guys doing that. And it applies, too, when people treat the Lord just like that as well. So on in verse 4, it gives us some information on David's age here, which is interesting. Uh, David was 30 years old when he began to reign 
and he reigned 40 years. And the Lord breaks it down for us a little bit here of that 40-year reign. In verse 5, it says in Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. So that was seven years and six months where he was only the king over Judah. And then in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel in Judah. So he tells us about the time span of David's reign in Israel. And remember, he also had that 10-year period for this before uh, this even started that the Lord was training him when he was on the run from King Saul. He wasn't reigning as king anywhere at that point. He was just on the run. The Lord was using that time to prepare David for, for this position he had for him as king. And when God's calling us, and he's got a call in our life to serve him, we need to realize that there's going to be a training period for that as well. So don't be discouraged when you go through those difficult times. And they can be very difficult because the Lord is training you for the important work uh, that he's called you to do. And it seems like the more important the work, the more the Lord has to put us through. I mean, you look at guys like Joseph in the Old Testament. Man, he went through some really low times, even sitting in prison, and yet God had a very important job for him, and he needed to go through that to be prepared for it. Uh, also Moses, you know, 40 years in the desert, uh, it took him to be prepared. So uh, don't be discouraged if you have a very difficult time and you said, Lord, I said I was going to serve you. Why are you letting me go through this? Uh, the Lord isn't going to tell you, but you can read it in his word. His, he's saying through his word, you know, that because I'm training you, <laughs> you need all this. And isn't it funny? We'll say, well, Lord, I don't think I need this. Not this long. And the Lord says, that's why you're not in charge, because you don't know what you need. I do. So uh, we have to trust him in that. And, and we want to please the Lord, right? We want to do what he calls us to do. So it goes on in verse 6 then. It says, and the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, you shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come here. So uh, we got these, the rest of the, the tribes here have accepted David as king, and he feels now that since he's got the united Israel together, that he needs to get a capital that's going to be further north, because uh, he's pretty far in the south there. And I, it makes sense that he's, he wants to be more accessible to everyone, so he's going to go up in the area of Jerusalem. Well, right now, uh, he's in Hebron, it's further south, in the tribe of Judah itself. So he needs to move up to be, be in a better central location for the land of Israel. We, we see the Jebusites mentioned here, and they're mentioned kind of briefly. You can see they've got quite an attitude <laughs> and the, when David starts to approach them. They've held this city, control of this city, for about 400 years. They were not supposed to be in the land. When the Lord told Israel to go on the land and kick all the inhabitants out and, and destroy them and all their idols with them, this was a group of people who was supposed to be gone. They weren't even supposed to be around. Israel obviously didn't obey the Lord completely, so for the last 400 years, these guys have been holding on to this central city uh, located in, in Israel there. So it was a city, too, that was easy to defend because of how it was situated. So these guys took advantage of that, and, and no one was able to take it from them. Uh, they, they did lose it for a short time, I should say, but uh, they got it back pretty quick. Seems like 400 years, they've been very comfortable there. And uh, now that David's coming, they're thinking there's no way. So you can see, as it says there in the end of verse 6, uh, they said, you shall not come in here. They said, there's no way this is going to happen. Uh, we've defended it against other people, so you're no different. And then they, he, they get real mocking here. But the blind and the lame will repel you. <laughs> and their thought really was, there's no way David can come here. So we can say whatever we want, you know. We can say, hey, we can put the, the blind and the lame in charge here. And they could defend our city against your men. But these people, they don't realize that David is not fighting alone. <laughs> God is fighting on his side. And when we're fighting on the side of the Lord, you know, people might as well just surrender <laughs> because you're wasting your time. Our God is bigger than anything you can come up with. You know, maybe we can't accomplish things on our own, and people are right about that with our own resources. But with God, all things are possible. So David's got that going for him, and this guy doesn't know that yet. But verse 7, he's going to know it pretty quick. It says, nevertheless. So even though they said, there's no way David can come here. The Lord says, nevertheless, <laughs> David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. So it's funny here how simply the Lord says, David conquered the place. <laughs> it's like, there's no way you can do this. And 
period. David did it. It's over. Done. You know. So after all their mocking and their great pride, David comes out on top because the Lord did this. All right? And David's very aware of that. And he's going to explain how it happened there in verse 8. Uh, David said on that day, and I'm sure what we see with David, he was checking this out with the Lord. Uh, Whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft, so he gives them the plan that there's this water shaft going into that city, and it's uh, gun guarded because they're thinking nobody would go there. And from my understanding that that it's still over there, you can see that water shaft. And he said it's a very cramped, very uncomfortable place, so you'd really... You really have the heart to want to do this if you're going to climb through that thing. And these days, these men of David, they're going to do it. (laughs) These are the special forces guys, right? Nobody's going to stop them. So uh, they do that. David gives them the plan. He says, uh, uh, whoever climbs by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, and he calls them. (laughs) Here's what he he puts that tag on them that they put on themselves. The lame and the blind. He said, that's what the Jebusites are, who are hated by David's soul. David does not appreciate their sarcasm. He said, whoever does this, he shall be chief and captain. So there's a reward for anybody that wants to do this. We're going to give you a high position. Therefore, they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. <laughs> so when David has his guys come in, he says, I guess we don't need the blind and the lame around here. He's not talking about the physical blind and lame. He's talking about these Jebusites. We don't even need them around, right? <laughs> so verse 9 then, David dwelt in the stronghold, and he called it the city of David. And David built all around from, from the Milo and inward. So he's building up the area uh, around the city of Jerusalem. Uh, verse 10, David went on and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. And right there you see the, the key to the secret of David's success, because the Lord God of hosts was with him. And uh, Lord, you know what, guys? We have that same Lord with us. So we've got amazing uh, power and abilities and resources of trusting in the Lord, walking in his ways, doing what he called us to do, make disciples of all nations. That's our our program we're in right now. So verse 11, Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons, and they built David a house. So this king now who's in the area, he's going to honor David by this magnificent house that's being built for him. And later on, uh, the, we hear more about that house made of these beautiful cedars. So it must have been a very nice place. Uh, verse 12, so David knew. As this guy, this king steps out of nowhere and says, we're going to build you a house. And he sends all, all those resources, all the people, everything needed. And they, they do this for David. That was a message to David. Verse 12, he knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. That was his confirmation. And also that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. So he sees this position that God has given him is not for David. He said he was exalted for the sake of his people, Israel. So he knows this is not for my glory. The Lord didn't do this to say, look at King David. He was saying, I put David in there because he's the servant who's going to let me work through him to minister to my people. And it's all about God's glory. So this is an extremely important thing for us to realize. God calls us and he puts us in positions not for ourselves, but for the sake of the people that he's called us to minister to. You know, we're simply the vessels that God wants to work through. And praise the Lord, if, if we've got a heart that says, I'll submit to you, Lord. You just, you lead, I'll follow, and you tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And that's an awesome thing. Uh, this is a great principle, you know, to understand that we're not here for ourselves. We're here to minister to the people that God's called us to. And that helps keep us humble. It's not about me. It's not about what I'm doing. It's about God wanting to speak to you and minister to you. So uh, that's, that's God's calling. And David, the light came on for him. If he hadn't seen it before, now he sees it. I'm not here for myself. I'm here for the people. Verse 13, and David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem. It's like, what? What happened here? You know, everything is looking really nice and really wonderful. And all of a sudden, David's got an eye here that he shouldn't have. Uh, He took more concubines and wives, plural, from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also, more sons and daughters were born to David. Uh, So it goes on. Now, these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. And some of these you recognize. There's Nathan, there's Solomon, 
uh, some of these other folks that are mentioned. Uh, but these are sons that are coming forth from David now. He's got a very bad weakness in this area. You know, the Lord had already prohibited multiplying wives in his law, but even more so for kings. He said, do not do this. Very clear. So David is living in disobedience in this area of his life. He's also trying to be like the kings around him, apparently, because they would demonstrate their greatness by how many wives they had. And there's still that stuff going on in the world today in some uh, third world countries there and stuff where they think, you know, the more wives they have it means more, uh, more powerful of a man I am and more prosperous and everything. So David apparently has fallen into that trap as well. And uh, it's a sad thing to see. Uh, I look at this and I say, you know, David had a porn problem, but he had a live porn problem. It wasn't a digital one or on, on paper. It was real people. And he just kept bringing these people in, these poor ladies here. And this is very important for us to get. David is willfully disobeying the Lord. He knows the law, and he's doing this anyway. But he's probably thinking it's okay because God's still blessing me, you know. And I think we mentioned this before. Sometimes a guy in leadership like that, he, he starts pulling a few stunts because of the power he now has. You know, as a shepherd, I don't know that many women were interested in David. They might have been, but they probably thought this guy smells like sheep or something, you know. But now that he's a king with all this power, with all this wealth, now he's able to take these ladies and afford them and everything else. So uh, sometimes when that happens, a guy gets messed up in the head, and he's thinking, God's still blessing me. I mean, look, he's got me in charge. Everybody's submitted here, and we're able to defeat the enemies and that, so God's still working. But David's not going to get away with this without a scratch, okay? Like somebody said, this was a ticking time bomb that's going to explode someday in David's life. And the Lord records that for us too down the road. So the Lord lets us see, you know, a guy who's a man after God's own heart, but he's still a sinner. He still does stuff that's way off, and he's going to have to deal with the, the issues he's brought into his own life because of the sins that he's committed. So we get from this, you know, we need to really take heed to, to things like this when the Lord shows us. God is not okay with sin. No matter what or no matter who we are, it does not matter. God is not okay with sin. We don't get a free pass, all right? Uh, we may have a sin that we think we're getting away with, but it will explode someday and it can do great damage to our own life and to our testimony for the Lord. So in David's life, he's setting himself up here for a tremendous fall by not disciplining himself in this area. And the apparent lack of judgment, you know, from the Lord that David sees in his life is simply the Lord, you know, as he's saying, he's thinking, I, I guess, you know, Lord's not dealing with me on this, so I guess it's okay. Uh, it's given David time to repent. It's not that the Lord, you know, he's not gonna come crushing down on him. He's given him a chance to say, don't you feel that conviction? Don't you know that I'm trying to help you get free from this and you're, you're not paying attention? So the Lord is so gracious and long-suffering with us. He gives us a lot of time, but that time isn't saying he's okay with sin. He's not giving you a thumbs up. He's giving you a warning. He's giving you time to repent. And man, that's why we need to know the word of God. And we see these stories and we see what happens later on when David falls for Bathsheba and gets into all kinds of a mess because of that. So, uh, yeah, the Lord warns us right here in his word. Uh, verse 17 goes on. Now, when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it, and he went down to the stronghold. So the Lord is very gracious to get word to David and a heads up, you know, when these things are happening. And by the way, the Lord still does that today. I know over in Israel, uh, they've got a lot of good intel. The Lord lets them find out stuff, and it, it spares them a lot of bad, bad news over there. Uh, verse 18, it says, The Philistines also went, and they deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. So now that Israel is united, the Philistines, they, they see them as a real threat. Before, when they were kind of fighting each other those seven years when David was just king over Judah, they're like, these guys are just a pain. We'll just let them do it to themselves and take themselves out, you know. But now that they're united, they're thinking these guys might decide to come after us someday. So they're going to decide to step in and make the first blow and try to knock Israel down a few notches. Now think about this, because this is what happens in our life too. When we step up to serve the Lord, especially with other believers where we're joining forces, you know, our enemy gets upset too. 
and he decides to try to do something about it. So we always look at this now as, uh, as a real interesting thing when, when this warfare kicks in. You know, we take it as a good sign when that happens because uh, we know the enemy's nervous. He's not happy. So the Lord must be doing some damage in his kingdom. And we had a group meeting with all the, uh, the guys who went on the mission trip here uh, over the weekend. We got together, and it was very interesting that all the guys said they all had these negative thoughts before, during, and after the work they were doing over there. And they identified it very quickly, you know, that this is just the enemy. He's really trying to discourage you. And uh, they were learning that whatever thought comes, do the opposite. <laughs> I mean, they had one situation where a lady was coming down with uh, full bags, and she was, really looked like she was not in a good mood that day, had bags in both hands, and the first thought that came to mind was, don't even try to hand her a track, because <laughs> she already looks upset, and she's already got her hand full of stuff, so she's probably not going to be open. So the thought, when, he, when that thought came, I think Rich was the one that got hit with that one, and then he said, you know what? I'm going to give her a track now that that thought's here to say don't. So he went up and uh, he told the lady when she was walking by, he said, I'm just going to put this in your, your bags, okay? And he slips it in. And he, when the lady walked by, she turned around and smiled. So he said, yeah, we don't listen to that. And another story that happened when Stephen was over there, he's, uh, they were getting thoughts from the Lord too as well. I don't want you to think they weren't hearing from the Lord on that. But Stephen said there was a, a young lady walking toward them, and the street was pretty empty, just this lady coming. And his first thought was, we're going to have a good conversation with her. Well, then he said as she got closer, they realized she had her, her phone and her earbuds in both ears. So then the thought was, she's not, she's not going to pay attention anyway, so don't even bother giving her a track. They knew where that thought came from. So even though, you know, they were thinking, that sounds reasonable, they gave the track to this lady. First thing she did was take one earbud out to receive the track. Once she started reading the track, she took the other earbud out. And they had a good conversation with her about the Lord, and the Lord was speaking to this lady, you know. So, yeah, when warfare like that kicks in, it's a great sign. The enemy's upset. You're making, you're making inway to his, his kingdom, and he's real nervous about that. But when the thoughts start coming that are negative, do not believe those lies. He's lying to you, you know. And uh, if you right now take some tracks and go out to hand tracks out, you probably have those thoughts because the enemy's watching. And I think he doesn't like our church too much. <laughs> it seems like he knows we've got a bunch of tracks. We've got a lot of ammunition here. So you will have those thoughts that will say, don't leave that track there. Don't give it to that person realize where that comes from. And I would encourage you, do the opposite. <laughs> when you hear that thought of don't do that, that might be the enemy knowing this guy's weak. He might listen to you. He might pay attention and might actually get saved. So do not give that to him. Yeah, so, so do the opposite. So here are these, these Philistines. They, they tells us where they lined up. They came to a place that was a great advantage for fighting uh, in this, this description it tells us here. Uh, where was that in verse 18, the Valley of Rephaim. So they've got the, the better advantage for the fighting ground, but they've got the lesser gods. <laughs> Their gods are useless. So Israel comes to fight them. They don't have as good a fighting ground to take them on, but they've got the most magnificent God who's with them. So the Philistines are in trouble. Verse 19, so David inquired of the Lord. Great job, David. Go to the Lord. Pray about this. Pray about everything. He went to the Lord and he said, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? Two great questions. Do you want me to go here? And if I go, are you going to give us success? Because he knows it's not on us. It's on the Lord. We only win because of the Lord. So we can ask that question, Lord, will you give us success? The Lord said to David, go up, for I will doubtless I mean, without a doubt, I'm going to deliver the Philistines into your hand. Boy, you want to hear that from the Lord. Like, all you have to do is show up. And the battle's already over here. So great that David does that. Verse 20. So David went to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me. Look who gets the glory. David's not taking the glory for this. When he's inquired of the Lord... The Lord has promised to be with him and to give him victory. David gives him the glory too, which he should, right? He says, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. 
So if, you, if you've seen water break through a dam, how it just gushes out, that's the picture he's showing here. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal Perizim, meaning that breakthrough against the enemies of God here. So David attacked them this time head on, and the Lord broke through their strong position. They had the tactical position here, but it didn't help them. And how you like verse 21? They left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. Now, it's pretty bad when you've got your gods who are supposed to be fighting on your side, and they can't even flee with you. They're left there on the ground, you know. So David's men come, <laughs> and they're the ones who carry them off because these gods can't walk. They're false gods. They're not real. They carry them off, and we're told later on in the scriptures there that David burned them all. He gave them what they deserved. He just burned them up. But isn't this a very interesting picture? The gods of the world are useless. They cannot stand against the Lord. So don't be discouraged, you know, when, when you're out there trying to talk to people about the Lord and they come up with all these fancy things and all these arguments and stuff. Their gods are useless. They will not fight for them. They'll be left on the battleground after the battle is over. They're totally useless. So don't be discouraged. If you're walking with the Lord, if you're speaking the truth in love, that's all you're required to do. You can't save them. You can't make them get saved. All you can do, speak the truth in love and let the Holy Spirit do the convicting. And that's, that's our job. We're going to stop here because there's another part of that story we'll pick up next time. And we might want to review a little bit of this too next time we get a chance. But notice here, the Lord is so amazing in what he does. He's been working in David's life. David asked the Lord before he does things. We need to learn that lesson. We need to pray about everything. That's one of the things that happened on the mission team as well. They prayed about everything. Lord, do you want us to go here? Do you not want us to go here? And, and David got to the point where he said, I was even praying. He told you last week, I think, who do you want me to give a track to? Because a lot of these people are, are not receiving. So show me who, who's supposed to get these, you know. And it's, it's their time where God's working. He's working on their life. So we can do that. We can pray about every single thing and there's nothing stopping us. So let's pray right now. Father, I thank you so much for the truth you give us in your word. Father, I thank you that you told us about your son Jesus, that he went to the cross for us. He paid for our sins completely. He shed his blood to make a new covenant for us with you, Lord. And you raised him from the dead to prove that covenant is real. It is complete. So we praise you and thank you for that, Lord. And as you encourage us today from your word, I pray, Lord, we would receive this. We would take it in and see what it looks like to follow you and to say, Lord, we will ask you about everything and just see what you do. Help us, Lord, to have a heart of prayer because that's the key, Lord, to see you work. And I pray you just instill that in us. If anyone is here today who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Lord, please open their heart. Help them receive you today. And that's between you and them, Lord. So we, we just pray that your conviction of the Spirit would work. And that's in your hands. But, Lord, we, we pray, help them to find Jesus. And, Lord, we thank you for this time. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.